Hey everyone, it's DB. If you love listening to us here on Kings of the Podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&A with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, the LA Kings, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. talking about the expansion draft and the NHL entry draft. But before we get to any of that, welcome in, DB. You're uh, fresh back from Seattle. How you doing? I am. I'm back in, in L.A. Uh, what a jam-packed week. The expansion draft, trade, the draft. Let's get to it, John. It's a jam-packed episode. Yes, indeed it is, Dennis. And of course, uh, coming up in the second period, we're going to be joined by LA Kings first round pick defenseman Brant Clark out of the OHL. We'll talk about him, his experiences uh, playing overseas, and I'm sure he'll have some fun stories for us, hopefully. Now, uh, we are coming to you live from the beautiful studios in Southern California. This is the Kyle Clifford studio. Dennis, I'll let you react to that before I give you an explanation. Jay, what the hell? Kyle Clifford? Okay, yeah, I need... My, you, if you saw my eyebrows, they raised about two inches off my uh, head there with, with Carl Clifford. But please, uh, uh, give us the details on the Carl Clifford studio. All right, so the situation here is this. The LA Kings have never selected in the eight hole before. So Brant Clark was just wow. selected uh, eighth overall on Friday night. So, you know, I love connections. I went back onto the, into the lists, and I tried to find some obscure players that were taken at eighth overall by LA, they've never taken a player at eighth. So I had to dig. Amazing. Yeah, right? I mean, you would think 50-year history in the NHL, at some point they would have right. drafted eighth, but they did not. So uh, 
Clark comes from the OHL Barry Colts. And when I think of Barry, I think of two players, Tanner Pearson, Kyle Clifford. And uh, here's the deal, DB. Come on. You can never have enough Kyle Clifford in your life. It's kind of like you can never have enough Akil Thomas in your life. You need these You need these people. You need these names to be brought up as often as possible. So sorry to TP, to Tanner Pearson. I went with Cliffy. There's no choice, John. I mean, come on. With respect to Mayor's Manor, come on. It's going to be Kyle Clifford 10 times out of 10. Absolutely. Uh, now, DB, I just have to tell you, I am super pumped. I'm always pumped. I'm an energetic, I'm a high energy guy, but I am really pumped right now. Uh, the team at Mayor's Manor has just been doing a phenomenal job. Traffic sure. is sky high. The team yep. nailed it when it came to the expansion draft, nailed it when it came to the NHL entry draft. All of our pre-content, our post-content, it's been uh, awesome. The music I have lined up for today, DB, is, is great. A couple of bands I really enjoy, Face to Face, The Distillers, it's going to be fun. We have some great guests guests lined up this week. We have Trevor Moore coming up right after this podcast as well. Uh, Clark today, et cetera. So we're clicking on all cylinders right now in, in the land of uh, KOTP and Mayor's Manor, Dennis. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's uh, we're maxed out with respect to Intel, John. So let's get to this episode and uh, let's get the fans another great one. All right. So a quick recap. I know everyone's excited to, to look forward, but let's, you know, it's been a while since the podcast. It's been a week or so. Let's quickly recap on the expansion draft. You were up there in Seattle. We had three players that were targeted to, to be selected from the LA Kings. It was either Austin Wagner, it was Curtis McDermott, or it was Kale Clegg. They ended up going with Curtis McDermott. Your thoughts? Uh, well, they certainly are building from the back end out, right, John? I mean, they, they went with uh, Chris Dreger, uh with respect to signing him uh, as a free agent, um, three years, three point five million. But uh, they love, they certainly love size, Ronnie Francis. And you made the connection with respect to uh, Curtis's father, Paul McDermott, having a relationship with with Ronnie Francis. But McDermott, a guy like Alexiak, they're they're going to be big on the back line. Not sure how they're going to score goals, uh, but that probably will be solved somewhat in uh, in free agency with some signings there. But uh, and had I known, I would have brought the proper size shirt for Sean Kemp along yes. with me in my suitcase yes. um, with respect to the event. And the event, uh, I, I was there. It was a picture postcard for the Seattle Tourist Bureau. It was about 75 degrees at 5 o'clock local. Uh, I drew kind of a parallel to when I went up to uh, Lake Tahoe uh, with the outdoor game, not with respect to the mountains or the temperature at the time of the event, but certainly having the guys in the kayaks and the the ships behind there back in the in, in Puget Sound. So it was uh, a really nice event. The fans were engaged. They had Todd Lywicki, Tim's brother, as a hype man, uh, right before the uh, the actual uh, uh, event that went off at 5 o'clock. So I thought it was a huge win for this city that's really looking forward to the Kraken hitting the ice in October. Yes, and DB, what about that S, that gigantic S on the white sweaters? I mean, I, I love both jerseys, but if you are a, a, a fan and you're in your home arena and when the Kraken come to town, you're going to know that Seattle's there because that S is massive on the white jersey, Dennis. You know, it's funny. We had uh, we did a post-expansion draft show on Sirius XME and Dave and we had Chris Drieger who wore the blue jersey, but we also had Hayden Flurry, and he like really like goes, "Oh, you know, this jersey really pops," and he had the S, and it was like he was sitting down at the table, and Hayden's about six three, six four, so all you saw was the giant S. Funny yeah. that you bring that up. It's like he was sitting at a table, and all you saw was this giant S in his head. So yeah, yeah it was uh, it was quite uh, quite interesting, quite an interesting event, and that's. Uh, there's certainly some away jersey for Seattle. Like I said, there'll be no confusion on who you'll be playing in the in, in away arenas. 
Yeah, it's it's funny too because uh, there's so much hype around this arena. The NHL schedule came out last week, and it looks like you know it's they're, that arena is going to be delayed a couple of weeks. Uh, that's fine; they'll they'll open. Don't worry about it. But you're going to have this East Coast West Coast uh, thing going on. You're going to have this Tim versus Todd Lywicky thing going on. Two exciting new buildings next year in the NHL. One out in New York for the Islanders, and one up in Seattle for the Kraken. I'm very curious to see which building ends up being the quote unquote better of the two buildings. Right, and both will claim best in breed. I think the, uh, <laughs> the Climate Pledge Arena, uh, they will, uh, the, well, they, they've saved the roof from the old key arena. So that's architecture, that's a, that's kind of a win for them. And you can't, we couldn't get close to it, even though we were in a couple of days, because everything's kind of cordoned off with, with fencing and stuff like that. So we couldn't get close to the arena. The UBS Arena, John, that's the one challenge, though. Their first home game is November 20th at UBS. So they're going to start the season. 13 game road trip. That's not exactly how you want to start the season. And Lou Amarillo actually said, "Yeah, after I saw the schedule, I went for a long walk after that opening." So that's a that's a severe challenge. But the Islanders, if there's one team that's kind of geared to playing home uh, away games, it's the Islanders. So if they walk out of that 13 game road trip to start the season, let's say six six and one or seven five and one, they'll be comfortable. But I'm eager to see both arenas. That's just a great thing for the NHL to have two city arenas being added to the mix of the 32 teams. Yeah, the schedule plays well for the uh, the Seattle Kraken, you know, opening up against Vancouver and Vegas. But it is curious that they don't get to see the L.A. Kings uh, really until January. So it's it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting, and we'll have to see if the NHL schedule even holds as is because. Even as we record this, uh, it has not been yet officially determined if the league is going to shut down for three weeks. That's the way the schedule looks, but nobody knows if they're really going to the Olympics next year, so uh, we'll have to wait on all of that. Now, uh, you mentioned the Kraken improving the roster via you know something that Ron Francis might be working on or several things. Uh, Jaden Schwartz is a player that's been linked to Seattle. We'll talk about him more in the third period because uh, we're going to talk about improving the LA Kings roster via either trade or free agency. So we'll get to that in the third period. Uh, before we do that, in the second period, we have Brant Clark like we talked about. But just to back up here in the first period, let's do a quick recap on the NHL draft. Four selections by Los Angeles. Beyond Clark, you had Francisco Pinelli, who was taken in the second round. Now, the Kings did didn't think they were going to be able to get him from everybody I talked to. They expected Pinelli to go in like the first three to five picks at the top of the second round. And they didn't think that even with their assets that they would be able to trade up high enough. That is the Kings didn't think they'd be able to trade up high enough to get him. It was kind of like a, a perfect scenario. He kept falling and they kept moving up with their deals and they were able to land him. So that's fantastic. He was with team Canada along with Clark at the uh, recent under 18s. And then they were also able to make a deal to get, uh, Samuel Hellenius, he's a big, mean son of a gun. He's uh, potent, uh, slotted to be a 3C in L.A., according to Mark Yannetti on the uh, post-draft media call that he did. So that's pretty interesting. And I've been talking to some other scouts uh, over here over the last 48 hours, Dennis, and it sounds like this kid, although he has a two- to three-year deal in Liga, there is an out in his contract. We could see him go next year, play one more season in Finland, and then he could be coming over. So a year from now, we could see this big, mean guy over here in North America fighting to try to make uh, you know, his name for, a name for himself in the LA Kings organization. Well, I think you learned that from St. Louis and Tampa last three years. Like, you need some meanness and toughness on the bottom six. I think that's a way to a, a championship roster, so it's not surprising. And look, John, I think it's it's every goal of every player who gets drafted by the NHL to play in the best league in the world. So I think the opportunity, if he's matured enough and his game's ready for the NHL, that you'd want to come over sooner than later. 
All right. And then they also drafted a big uh, Russian defenseman, Kirill Kursanov. Another interesting story. He played at the World Juniors for Team Russia. And it sounds like, at least again, according to what Yanetti was saying after the, uh, the draft was over, that there's a possibility that in two years he'll come over, maybe one year and then uh, out of the KHL and then one year in the American League. But uh, he has two years, I believe, remaining on his KHL deal. So if there's not an out in his contract, it would be two years. But here's the, here's the kicker, that in two years from now, they're projecting that he'll be a, enough of a finished product to go right into the NHL, which is pretty exciting because so many of these kids that get drafted, you know, you're talking about finishing up their, their careers wherever they are and then maybe toiling in the American League for two or three years before they get an opportunity. Um, so it could be four or five years before some of these draft picks are, you know, in the NHL, but it doesn't sound like it with uh, not only with Hellenius, but also with Karsanov. He could, we could be looking at two years from now, these kids are in the NHL. You know, a couple of things on that, John. I think that, number one, the Kings haven't had a lot of success going to Russia lately. The Kovalchuk didn't think didn't work. The Korkin didn't work out. It's good to see that they haven't turned away from Russia as a possible pipeline for talent because there is a lot of talent. Uh, Chekhev, uh, the, the free agent they signed, and this kid being drafted. I think that's a really good sign that they haven't closed off that possibility. And for me, I know you're Mr. Patient and I'm Mr. Aggressive. John, I love the aggressiveness of moving up in the draft to get Pirelli and to get this Russian kid. I, I really, really liked that they went, and you used the, the phrase on Twitter uh, during the draft, of, of quality over quantity uh, to me. And, of course, my paisan, Dave Pagnota, when I asked about Pirelli, he goes, oh, yeah, a lot of speed, a lot of skill, good hands. I go, how do you know about this play? He goes, I know about all the Italians in the OHL. <laughs> so, to me, um, that's uh, I, I just love the aggressiveness. I, I think they went over and identified players, and they moved up, and they moved out picks to get these guys. So, again, you know, for me being one to be Mr. Aggressive all the time, it was a really good thing to see uh, going and grabbing these talented kids. Well, there was certainly a lot of aggression coming out of the LA Kings draft room because, Dennis, a couple days <laughs> heading into the first round, uh, not only were we talking about you know, with our sources about players they might be interested in and how things might play out and whatnot. But uh, I had asked the question, like, hey, what's the appetite or the interest to pick up a second first-round pick? You know, we're talking, like, pick 20 to pick 30, you know, somewhere in that range. And it didn't seem like that was a very realistic possibility. Now, normally, to get back into the first round, you have to give a first-round pick as well as a tax. So you would have been looking at the Kings next uh, year's, you know, 2022, that is, first-round pick and something else. And so it just didn't seem like there was a big appetite to do that. But here's the deal, Dennis. As Wallstead, the goaltender, started falling... They right. were, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter as well, they were moving quickly, calling everybody, talking to as many people as they could, trying to get back into the first round. So they started the day not even thinking that that was going to be something that was possible. And all of a sudden, when he's sitting there, you know, in the teens, late teens, and uh, they were then trying to get back in, they couldn't get a deal done before Minnesota scooped him up, I think, at 20th or 22nd, somewhere in that range, if I remember correctly. Um, but, you know, hey, good on the Kings for trying to still jump back in there in the late in the first round and pick up a goaltender. A goaltender who people say is an outlier, it's not just that they were looking to draft a goalie. It was they were right. looking to draft a high-end goaltender when he was still sitting there. Yeah, because when you came out with that intel, I think, what, they were just, I'm like, well, they, they've got depth at goaltender, but you, you're saying that this, was, this is a stud. This is a guy who who could be a, you know, a possible Desmond winner in the future. 
Well, let me tell you how interested they were in him because I think sure. it ties into some of the other questions that people have been asking me. People, of course, they, they love asking what ifs. And so one of the what ifs was <laughs> if Clark wasn't there at eight and many people on their board thought that he would be gone by then. So it's a valid question. If Clark wasn't there at eight, who would they have taken? This is what I uh, understand. And I'm sure that most of our listeners have already wa- read my article on Mayor's Manor that had the predictions based on all the, the scoops and sources and intel, whatever you want to call it, that we had put together. As best as I can tell, the Kings had a group of about seven players that they were targeting uh, at number eight. And those players were in tiers, as we've heard them talk about before. The, 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 the top tier there, I believe they had Eklund and Clark, kind of a 1A, 1B. And I was thinking that they might be leaning Eklund if both of them happened to have been there somehow, which would have been strange. But I was thinking they were leaning more Eklund. Yanetti seemed to tip his hand and said that, no, it was Clark in that top tier. Uh, compare, he only used the word, there was a forward there. I believe the forward was Eklund. So it's yeah. Eklund and Clark that were the top tier and the tier right below that, should both of those players have been gone, which was very valid and possible. I think that's where you had Wallstead and you had another forward, mm-hmm. which would have been uh, either John, uh, Kent Johnson or either, even Sillinger. I wrote all about oh, this. And so I would encourage people if they want to go back in and look at it. And of course, uh, I never believed the Kings were in on Dylan Gunther. Not, not, you know, I don't mean that disparagingly about the player. I just think that um, they had other people ranked ahead of him on their list. So those that have asked about Dylan Gunther and the Ducks DB, they had Mason McTavish going number three, or they took him number three. That was one of the guys that I was sort of secretly hoping that the Kings were going to take. Uh, he plays a very, let's call it a mayor type of game. <laughs> yeah, old school power forward, John. Remember those? <laughs> oh, I, I, I do. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you, that's that's the that's the mold of Mason McDonough. And I agree with you. If he had fallen to eight, that would have been a big win for them. But look, well, for need, positional need, Brand Clark, um, you did a great interview him. We talked to him on the hot stove on Saturday. What a kid. Like, for a team that has a lot of vanilla personalities, this kid can talk fast. He talks faster than me or you, which is kind of amazing. But uh, I'm really looking forward to Brand Clark uh, at some point hitting L.A. Yeah, DB, if we talk a million miles an hour, he talks a billion miles an hour. So um, I'm a little worried coming up here in the second period. I don't know if we're going to be able to stretch a 20 or 30 minute interview. He might give us a full hour interview in about seven minutes. So we'll have to see how it plays out uh, in the in the second period here. Uh, DB, I don't want to move on, though, to get to Clark before we uh, without talking about world juniors, I should say, because. Sure. Anytime that the, you know, fo- immediately following the NHL draft, I start looking over and saying, okay, which players are likely to play in the World Juniors? It's the, it's the best tournament for that age group of player, and it often is a draft plus one type tournament. So, meaning that the majority of the players are players that have recently been drafted. Now, uh, it, this is how things are lining up as of right now, and I did tweet this out the other day, but the Kings, who have been well represented the last couple of years, they look to have a bumper crop again. So check this out. Team USA, you're talking about Brock Faber will be back. Uh, they won the gold medal last year. Team Canada, Clark, who just competed and won a gold medal at the U18s with Canada, he should be part of their squad. Now, Byfield is eligible, Dennis. I don't think that the Kings will release him to go to Team Canada, though. Uh, there, there's a bit of good news here, though, and that is that, and we've talked about this in the past with guys like Kaliev and, and whatnot, that, Oftentimes when these players get drafted, their only options the following season, sometimes for two seasons following the draft, is to go back to the Ontario League or to go to the NHL. And with Byfield, the Kings planned on putting him in the NHL next year because they didn't want to send him back to the Ontario League. However, coming out of this pandemic year, it sounds like the CHL and NHL are about to announce an official agreement saying 
Well, there's going to be a one-time exception. Any player who played in the American League this past season, 2021, anybody who played in the American League for 20 games or more will be eligible to go back to the American League. They don't have to then choose between OHL or NHL. I think this would be wonderful because it gives the Kings more options with Byfield. You don't have to rush him onto the NHL roster next season. Right. He, might, he might make it anyway. I'm not saying he, he won't, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. it gives them options that they could, if they wanted to, send Byfield to the American League, let him start the year in Ontario, play maybe October, November, you know, with the rain, uh, and then get him up to the NHL for the second half of the season. So that's exciting to have options, Dennis. I think it's huge for, especially Byfield, because, John, what purpose would it serve for him if he didn't make the roster to go back to the OHL? Mm-hmm. From a development standpoint, I think it's great. Plus, he gets more games with Robo, gets to play against men. To go back to the OHL and go down there, I'm sure he would dominate and score a bunch of goals. It doesn't make any sense from a development standpoint. So I think this is major for him. And you're right, it takes the pressure of the one or the other. So to have this layered in, especially for that player, I think is huge for him. Yeah, I really wish, and if you're listening, Gary Bettman, I really wish that the NHL and CHL could come to an agreement where there was yeah. like a, an, a, a a one player exception. So if you want to have that, I understand the reason for the rule because you don't want to crater all the CHL teams. You need sure. them to have their stars. You need them to be able to draw fans, make money, et cetera. I get the business aspect side of it, but it would be nice if there was one prospect per team in the NHL where they could pluck a player and allow him to go to the American League. I think it's great because too often uh, organizations are faced with the decision that just on the surface doesn't make sense where it's like, well, NHL or OHL, really wish we could send this kid to the American League, but we can't. So, well, he's going to have to go back to the Ontario League because he's not ready for the NHL. There needs to be a different development path for like one player per organization, in my opinion. Right, because most of the players would go back to juniors and would not be dominating, and and their development would because they're still maturing as as people as, as as kids. So yeah, for the one elite player that's going to go down there and dominate and basically waste the season, I couldn't agree with you more. There should be an allowance for the top of the draft guys that really don't need another year junior. Okay, so back to the World Juniors. We have Faber for Team USA, Clark for Team Canada, Byfield, even though he's eligible, probably a no, but that's okay. Finland could ha- be represented by four people. Hellenius, who we mentioned earlier, Simon Tyvel, who was on the team last year, Jamson and uh, Markinen would be two other eligible people for Finland. I do want to tell you, those two players were recently at the uh, uh, camp for Finland and were just cut, I believe, on Friday as they whittled the roster down for the Summer Showcase, which is a little mini tournament that they do every summer as a pre-World Junior Tournament. It normally features the U.S., Canada, Sweden, and Finland. However, this year, Canada opted not to participate, so the U.S. split their squad. And so right now, going on as we're recording this, Dennis, you have uh, two versions of Team USA. You have Team Blue and Team White playing against Finland and Sweden. Now, that doesn't mean that Markkinen or Jamson aren't eligible. They still can start next season, have a great first half of the season, and then all of the uh, countries, they have their their final selection camp, which takes place at the beginning of December. So we could see Markkinen get invited back, but four potential players for Team Finland, nobody probably happier about that than uh, Christian Rutu, longtime <laughs> King's, King Scout. Um, 
the good thing about, uh, by the way, good thing about Rutu is, uh, for those that remember him being on the show previously, I, I checked in. I checked in multiple times while he was here for 10 days uh, leading up to the draft. He did not take any more trips on a, uh, a bicycle without brakes down the hill <laughs> and, uh, on his morning Starbucks run. So, Rutu. Yeah, for we every- need him around, John, so it's good, yeah. good move. Good yeah, move. so Roots is good. He's, uh, he, he, I think yesterday he boarded a plane and, and flew home, so he's, he's good. He's good. Uh, other prospects that would be available, uh, Martin Kromiak for Slovakia. Slovakia, Helga Granz from Team Sweden. Interesting one there, Dennis, because he was the last man cut from the uh, Swedish World Junior Team last year. I mean, I like literally, I think the bus was at the hotel and they were leaving for the airport and he was the last person cut. So tough pill to swallow, but the good news is it yep. looks like Granz will be included for Team Sweden. And then, of course, uh, the defenseman from Russia that was just drafted, uh, Kursanov, he was on the Russian World Junior Team last year, so you would expect him to be back this year. So you just add those numbers up. You have one, two, three, plus four, seven, eight, nine. You could have nine players, and even if a couple of those guys on Finland don't make it, they still could have sure. six or seven players uh, spread across six different countries. That's some exciting things coming up at the World Juniors, Dennis. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and uh, Happy New Year. Merry for Kings fans could be uh, that time of year again that you'll be tuning into the uh, World Juniors. Yeah, and that tournament starts on December 26th. And of course, uh, Kings of the Podcast listeners, they become accustomed to us having on many of the people we had last year. We had the GM of Team Canada on, the GM of Team USA on, and many of the Kings prospects. So we'll line that up later, Dennis. Let's turn it to the immediate attention. On the other side of the break, we have Brant Clark. But I do want to just ask you about a building because uh, my, my brain just clicked in and was saying, hey, wait a minute, we were talking about the two new buildings that are debuting this coming season, which of course were the Islanders and the Kraken, but there's the potential for another new building in the NHL for them to break ground on soon. We've talked in the past about the need for the Arizona Coyotes to move from the west side of town over to the east side of town. You and I, you know, we're, we'd like to have them in Scottsdale. I think a lot of people would like to have them in Scottsdale, but you and I <laughs> prefer that part of the desert over there. It's a beautiful area. Uh, but in the last couple of days, getting some sense that the Coyotes are perhaps interested in moving to Tempe. Well, look, they have to be on the east side of the valley. And yes, John, you and I have had, uh, we've bellied up to the bar at the W in Scottsdale. So we would have preferred a, a building in Scottsdale right near uh, downtown there. But look, it has to be on the west side. Look, John, I think more so than a building, they have to start putting NHL players on the team because <laughs> they, they look like they're, they're shooting for uh, shooting right in the first overall pick. But if they are going to stay in this market, John, they need a new building. Yes, we love the, the, the Westgate uh, uh, venue, and we love the building there, but it's just in the wrong part of town for this team. Uh, so to move them over there, because, John, if they don't get a building on the East Valley, then I think you're looking at Houston. I think you're looking at the relocation. I know you don't like Houston as an NHL market, but this really has to happen. So whether it's Tempe, Scottsdale, or wherever, um, they do need to be on that side of the city. Yeah, I do question the viability of the NHL in the Houston market. I've, uh, you know, look up my tweets. We're not going to talk about that right now. Uh, but Dennis, there is one time a year that I do appreciate them, them being the Coyotes, being over on the west side of town, and that would be March of every year because you can hit the Dodger spring training over there at Camelback, and then you can usually catch a Coyotes game there, uh, including the Kings scheduling a game against the Coyotes one year in March. So that was fantastic. A little double dip there. Uh, and the Dutch Brothers Coffee that's over there at Westgate. You're right. So of I do. Of course, Dutch Brothers. I, yeah, there we go. I, I do like the area. <laughs> Uh, but it's not all, but surprisingly, Dennis, it's not all about us. It's about the people in the greater Phoenix area. And they seem to strongly prefer that that team plays over on the east side of town. So whether it's Scottsdale or Tempe, hopefully things work out for the Coyotes because man, that franchise has really been through the ringer over the last 20 years. And it would be nice to uh, give them some good positive news. 
Agreed, John. Couldn't agree with you more. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we have LA Kings first round draft pick defenseman Brant Clark. He's going to join us here on Kings in the Podcast. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. We are very uh, pleased at this particular time to be joined by LA Kings 2021 first-round draft pick, Brant Clark, right out of the gate. Has that sunk in yet? First-round NHL draft pick. No, no, it hasn't sunk in. It's kind of it's crazy that I'm now officially a part of an NHL organization, and the fact they used the first-round pick on me, it's it's very flattering, but it's it's crazy. You know, I've, I've watched these guys my whole life. I've wanted to be at this level my whole life, and that the fact that uh, – I'm technically now part of the organization. It's it's remarkable, and uh, I, it's the best feeling I've ever had. All right, so you've done a number of interviews uh, over the last 48 hours and, and whatnot, and probably plenty of interviews heading into the draft, but this is going to be your favorite one, so I hope you're you're sitting down and ready to get going here. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. You can hear my – I've lost my voice a little bit. Maybe that's showed <laughs> after, after the draft, but I'll, I'll do my best. All right. Well, feel free to scream along the way during the podcast, too. We'll just uh, – we'll edit that out in post. But, hey – um, I was on the Zoom the other day with you, and something that was fun, probably funny to me, but maybe not to you, was that people were calling you the wrong name. I think one guy even called you Brandon. So I'm just curious, you know, uh, Brent is not the most unusual name I've ever heard, but I have heard people call you Brent, Brett, Brandon. Uh, what's the strangest name that somebody has, you know, when they've botched your first name? I, I don't know. Those are, those are some outlandish ones, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I get called Brett all the time, and uh, Brent, and no one, it's rarely ever Brant or Brandon to, uh, on the first couple occasions, nothing uh, that crazy, but uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely got to take a couple looks at it and a couple tries to nail it down. Yeah, well, obviously, Kings GM Rob Blake was working on it, because normally we hear executives call players by their last names, and uh, Blakey just straight out called you Brent, and I was surprised that he got it right. I was expecting a Brent or a Brett, like you said, but he got it right uh, out of the gate, so that's a good sign for you. It is, yeah, that's, I guess I should say I'm honored. <laughs> now, I, uh, I asked you the other day, immediately after the draft on uh, Friday night, I asked you about the number 55, of course, because Byfield has already uh, laid claim to that. So you, you weren't sure at the time. You had other things on your mind, uh, like screaming and losing your mind. But now that you've had a couple days, has that entered the, uh, the thought process yet? Do you have a backup number yet? What are you thinking about? Uh, not necessarily. No, I, I haven't really looked at it yet. I, I got to look at it on a jersey. I think I'm going to like maybe do some online, maybe edit, like see a Clark and then a number underneath, which one looks the best. But, uh, 55 is my number though. So it is, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow, but uh, I think I'll get over it. So what you're telling me is that you haven't even texted QB yet and tried to wrestle it away from him. You, you've already resigned yourself to the fact that he's keeping 55. I, I have. Yes. He's, he's an intimidating guy. He's a very big guy. Uh, um, I'll, I'll let him have that one. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, some people online were suggesting five, uh, but I, I'm, I'm getting the sense that you're not a single digit guy. Not really. No, I'm definitely going to be uh, 
a higher number. I like those higher numbers, kind of those rarer numbers, which uh, that's something I'll be. But uh, like I said, not uh, set in stone quite yet. All right. I'll probably ask you about it a hundred more times over the, the coming years, but we can move on for now. <laughs> yes. Have you, have you, have you researched the LA Kings at all? I'm like, I would imagine that you don't do too much research coming into the draft because you never really know where you're going there in the top 10. But now that you know that you're a member of the LA Kings organization, what type of research have you done? What do you know about the Kings, their players, or maybe even their history? Uh, yeah, I've, I've looked into it a little bit. I've looked at their depth chart and stuff, and uh, yeah, they have a really young core coming up, and I'm really honored to be a part of that. You know, it's uh, it's going to be a really good group, and when we all get in our primes, I think we're going to be a really uh, dangerous core, dangerous group of guys, and uh, it's going to be really exciting. But uh, yeah, right now, that's kind of what I've been doing. I've been looking at uh, the team, and you know, they, they have had a good history. You know, they've in the past decade, they have two Stanley Cups, which is pretty impressive, and uh, yeah, you know, it's a pretty uh, historic franchise. You know, Gretzky played there. That's always a not bad thing to not bad thing to say to be kind of be a part of the same organization that that guy did. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, that's the kind of stuff that I've looked up so far. But uh, you know, I, I'm probably going to do a little bit more before I actually get there. All right. So that guy Gretzky, he wore a high number too. So uh, you know, you used to have that in common with him. But yeah, you can you can look that up. There's some uh, there's some names throughout their history besides '99, of course. Uh, Rob Blake, the general manager, he's in the Hall of Fame. You also have Dave Taylor, and you have uh, Rogi Vachon. There's a whole number of guys. Uh, now. Uh, let's, uh, speaking of Blake, uh, give me a, give me a sense of, uh, you know, you're on the zoom calls, you're meeting with the staff. There's all sorts of them, right? There's Unetti and there's everybody in there, but, uh, what type of questions does Rob Blake ask you and how intimidating is that to have not only the general manager of the team, but one of the greatest defensemen of all time, somebody that you might look up to on a certain level, he's sitting there asking you questions about your game. How intimidating is that for you? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it is intimidating. You gotta be professional with it. You gotta be respectful, and you, but you can't like get uh, overexcited or like you know, you're, like you're talking to a superstar because he is. But you gotta kind of have a normal conversation with him. But uh, I don't know. It was uh, it went pretty well. He's he's a very nice guy, and uh, the questions he asked me, he just want to know like how I broke down plays, and he wanted to see how I uh, how I think the game, and like he would do plays where some some clips were good, some clips were bad, and. I just want to see like what I saw there. Why did I pop up here? Why did I go up the wall there? And just stuff like that. And uh, and then he would give me feedback. And you know, being the player that he was, obviously his feedback means a lot. And he was quite the player. He had quite the brain on him. So uh, it was uh, yeah, it's, it was pretty awesome. And now you know, maybe even more further discussions in the future about stuff like that. It's gonna be really beneficial for me. Now, Mark Unetti has often said that some of their interviews are more like interrogations. He just said that again the other night after the draft as well. Uh, I, I love when he says that because the visual that it creates, uh, it, it Yank is intimidating as well. So he's sitting there and he's putting pressure on you and he's asking tough questions and he doesn't hold anything back. So if there's some negativity or, or negative themed questions that he wants to ask, he's not afraid to pull the trigger and do that. Um, give me an idea of like a really uncomfortable situation that, that either Blake or Yanetti put you in. Like you said, they're asking you some, some feedback on some tape. Take us into like a really uncomfortable situation where you feel you had to wiggle your way out of it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. They, like I said, they, we were doing video. There were a lot of, there were not, I don't want to say a lot, but like there were probably like four or five clips where like it would definitely, you know, wasn't the greatest play by me. And I'll be the first one to admit that. So, uh, I just want to see like why why I did that what I what, what what the communication was going on there and I I'm like you can tell I'm, I like to talk so I kind of broke down the whole situation tried to make myself look good I guess you could say even though it was really <laughs> not a good situation but uh, I don't know it was uh, they're really they're really smart guys they they like I said they were giving me feedback and it was uh, it was really nice and you know that we watched good clips too and then I got they were like 
they were they were like um, like marveled with what I was doing, which is remarkable because these guys had so much years of experience, and that's kind of that's kind of awesome to hear. So it was uh, like I said, it was it was a great process, and I'm just honored to, that these conversations with them will will continue. I think we're fascinated by that whole interview process and pre-draft scouting process. So just before we move on, just take us a little bit more in, inside that process. When, when it comes to breaking down tape, are they sending you the clips ahead of time? Do you have them for 24 hours and you can analyze them? Do they, do they even tell you, hey, tomorrow we're going to talk at noon and then they just throw the clip up? Uh, or do they tell you in advance, hey, tomorrow at noon we're going we're gonna to break down film? Like what's the prep going into that? No prep, no. Yeah, pretty much the second option there. It was just kind of let's let's do a call tomorrow. Let's do a Zoom call, and then the whole front office was there, and they just whipped the, did the screen share or whatever you could say, and they just wanted to see what I what I thought on plays, and I wasn't exactly expecting it, but it was fine. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good talker, and I break down plays pretty well, so uh, they, it, it went actually really well. Gotcha. Okay. Um, let's let's move on. There's plenty of other uh, meat on the bone here. It's stuff to talk about. The U18s. Um, I'm just curious. So that that came at such a weird time on the hockey calendar because of the pandemic over the last 18 months and the way that it's impacted everything. Were you were you at all nervous? I mean, what I mean is maybe even more nervous than normal. Anytime you get to wear a Team Canada sweater, anytime you get to go to an international tournament, um, you know, great players always tell you that you are a little bit nervous. That's just normal. But Talk about that added pressure that might have been there, knowing that it was probably the last big opportunity for NHL teams to take a look at you heading into the draft. Yeah, you, you could definitely say there was an extra bit of pressure there. Obviously, also playing for Canada, you know, we were, I guess you could say the favorites. Canada always goes in as the favorites in international events. So uh, it was, yeah, there was a little bit of pressure there. We had guys on our team, like probably just under half of our team that hadn't played in 14 months. So we, we you know, the nervousness of like, oh, we got rust here. Like, are we going to come to the gate slow? And then... Uh, our first game of the tournament, we beat Sweden 12-1, so that was kind of wiped under the rug pretty quickly. But, uh, yeah, I feel like it, uh, the nerves were there a bit. You know, there was a lot of scouts. The first time you saw scouts in, in a really long time. So, uh, first time, like, I, I played in Slovakia this year, but there weren't scouts there. You know, no one was allowed in the building, and it's also in Europe in a kind of a lesser-known town. Like, I, I I haven't really seen that that much uh, attention in a while, but it, it was cool. You know, I really, I really enjoyed it. We had a great group of guys, and... Uh, you know, everyone did want to impress and kind of put themselves on a on a higher pedestal in terms of draft rankings, but everyone also knew the task at hand was to win a gold medal, and they wanted to put uh, uh, the team first, and that's what that's what everyone did, and that that's why we came in on top in the end. All right, more on the U18s and some other stuff later. Let's set the table for everybody. Let's take a quick step back now. Start from the beginning. Let's tell your overall story so that LA fans can get to know you. Where did you grow up? Talk about your family a little bit. How big is it? What's the size? How connected are you to your family, extended family? When did you first start skating? Why hockey? Give us, give us uh, you know, the five-minute uh, pitch here on who you are and, and your backstory. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm from Nepean, Ontario. It's a subdivision of Ottawa. Uh, I had season tickets to the Sens growing up. I love watching the Sens. Uh, my my parents are both in the in the dentistry uh, business. My dad's an orthodontist, and my mom's a hygienist, and she works for my dad. So it's pretty nice because you know she gets flexible hours. Could take uh, us kids to school into the rink and stuff like that. So that was nice. And uh, yeah, I have, I have an older brother, Graham. He plays. Uh, He's, he's two years older than me, and he played for the Binghamton Devils this year, the uh, New Jersey's farm team. So, and he actually had a really good season. He signed with New Jersey, so he's hoping to make a big club in, in the near future. So he's, he's doing really good for himself right now. And uh, I have a younger sister, Mackenzie, and she's, uh, she's, she's getting calls from NCAA schools now. She's, and she's, she's top, plays top-level girls hockey for her age, and um, like, she's doing really good stuff too. So we're a big hockey family. 
it's really competitive household, and we all push each other to be better. But uh, I love it. You know, we I, I love that uh, kind of tension in 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 the household. To always be better. Always be always want to one up your your sibling, which is which is just awesome. So uh, that's kind of my that's kind of my family. And uh, yeah, I grew up. Uh, hockey was my whole life. The my whole life, uh, my entire life. It was. Uh, I, I played started playing hockey when I was around four years old, and. Um, uh, my parents wanted me to get into other sports, but I never really wanted to. I wanted to play hockey, summer. I wanted to play hockey year round. I wanted twelve months of my year to be hockey. You know, I would go to summer camps. I would go to places like Boston and like Toronto and all this stuff to just play hockey. So that's that's what I like doing. That's how I made all my friends, and it was just uh, really enjoyable. And that's that's kind of what I've been doing my whole life. You know, even now, like I don't go on vacations and stuff. I don't want to take that time off. I want to get better every single every single week. I want to be better than what I was last week, and I don't want to skip that time in the gym or anything like that. So. That's just kind of the person that I am, the amb- ambitious person that I am. That I always want to be better than I was the day before, and uh, that—that's just kind of what my life looks like. And uh, yeah, that's that's my family, and that's that's the person that I am. All right, that's a good good tee up for what happened here over the last year. So, with the Ontario Hockey League shut down uh, during the pandemic, you made the decision to go overseas, and like many players. And in the beginning, your brother was there for a while, so that was good. But knowing you, you didn't go on vacation. You didn't even take a train trip over to do anything. You were probably immersed in hockey the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of uh, no, not too much travel. I was in a southern part of Slovakia, so that was actually really close to Budapest, which I, I really wanted to go to, but the, the borders are kind of weird over there, so. Obviously, all the borders were weird during COVID times, but uh, no, I didn't really, I didn't do much traveling, which is unfortunate. All I got to saw was uh, other hockey towns, other other <laughs> rival teams in Slovakia, so that's kind of the only sightseeing I did. But um, no, I, I would, I would like to go back one day, though. I did like my experience over there. Yeah, it's also unfortunate the time in your life when you went. I mean, it's a great experience, and you'll, you know, you you, you wouldn't want to give it up, but playing hockey in Europe with those crazy fans and the flags and the chants and the dances and everything and not having the fans in the building, it's it's almost like uh, you got the short end of the stick because you didn't get the full European hockey experience. That is true. I saw some videos of the season before, and it was pretty wild that all these, uh, all these arenas, people always scream with the face paint on and everything. And that, <laughs> that would have been nice to be a part of, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I still wanted to play hockey this season, so I, that's the sacrifice I had to make. I didn't want to just sit on my couch for, for uh, an entire season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, or you have mentioned previously about having to learn to cook for yourself over there, which is a new experience, of course. Um, what was your favorite meal to cook? Uh, I cooked a lot of pasta, a lot of ground beef, a lot of chicken, just very, very basic stuff. So I'm not going to say I'm any um, any Gordon Ramsay type type guy right, uh, by any means. But uh, and that, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I cooked up for myself most often. I would also order out a lot. I uh, that's I like doing that. We had good restaurants around our little co- uh, condo apartment building there so me and the other Canadian guys on my team would eat out quite a bit but uh when I did cook for myself it was just very very standard stuff but it was it was good I liked it all right little Gordon Ramsay reference uh, that's nice didn't see that one coming you caught me off guard now living overseas different city different language obvious changes that you have to make off the ice uh but what about on the ice this, this, I would imagine there's adjustments that have to be made you're playing against men you're playing on a larger sheet what type of adjustments on the ice were you making yeah, you know, when when me and Graham originally went over there, it was already halfway through their season. We were we hadn't really played in nine months. Like obviously, we weren't just not doing anything. We were training, but those game reps are just not uh, are not not easily easily like replicated. So uh, uh, it was it was kind of difficult the first couple of games. You know, bigger ice. You know, you're always moving out there. You would tire out really quickly because you're always moving. There's not really much time to stand still because there's a loose puck in the the corners like farther than it usually is. So. Um, yeah, that's it was, it was a little bit of an adjustment for the first couple games. You know, guys were bigger. I haven't really played against men before. So, uh, you know, I was getting knocked down a little bit early, early on, earlier, more than I'd like to. So, uh, 
Uh, but then kind of around game four or five, that's when I kind of got my feet under me. I was kind of holding on to the puck longer. I was making those uh, those creative plays that I, I feel like I'm known for. So uh, that's 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 kind of when things started to pick up for me, and that's kind of when the I guess you would say the offensive production came, and that's when I started get, getting more minutes from the coaches because they trust me on the back end. They trust me to shut down other guys. So yeah, that it was uh, it was an adjustment period at the start, but when I started feeling comfortable by my, uh, in my own play, uh, that's kind of when everything started to produce better, not only for me, but uh, in terms of wins for the team. All right, so you go overseas, you put your big boy pants on, you live by yourself, you cook for yourself. You're an independent guy now. Uh, how's that going to work going back to the OHL? Are you going to live alone, or do you still live with the billet? What, how does that work? I'll, I'll be with the billets. Yeah, I'll be with the billets. Uh, I will help them out more than I did <laughs> the first year, though. Maybe I will cook a couple a, a night a week or two nights a week, but they are great cooks, though, so i got to give a shout-out to them. But, uh, yeah, I will be with the billet again. All right, so Tuesday nights, uh, dinner with Clarky on Tuesday nights. You'll be doing the cooking then. I guess so. We can pencil that in. All right. Sounds good. Uh, let's go back to the U18s real quickly. How hard, now we're talk the flip side. How hard was it to adjust your game? We hear about guys saying that it's harder almost for North American players to go overseas than it is for Europeans to come over here, even though, you know, that, that's a challenge in and of itself, going from the big ice to the, to the smaller ice. But how about for you now having played over there overseas, now you're coming back over here preparing for the U18s. How difficult was that adjustment to get your game back on the, the smaller ice ice? It wasn't as bad. I, I actually did have that in, my, in the back of my head at the start of the tournament. I was like, is this going to kind of mess me up a little bit? But it actually didn't. Maybe it's because the guys were smaller. You know, there was more ice because there's the guys aren't, you know, like 6'6", six, six, 30-year-old guys, So and they weren't on you right away. So maybe that's why the adjustment was easier. But um, – I don't know. It was uh, it, it it was some you know you wouldn't have as much time in the offensive zone. Sometimes in in uh, in Europe you can just kind of wheel the outside of the neutral zone seat till wait till something opens up. But that's not really the case when you come back here. So yeah, I did have to adjust my game a little bit. I wouldn't uh, I, you would have to kind of rush passes a little bit more because you just don't have those extra few steps where in like in in uh, in Europe like you can just go out there and the, the D can't chase you because if, if he chases you and you make a pass like it's gonna take him like. Five seconds to get back to the net, he's way out of position. So that's just not really the case uh, back in North America. But uh, I think I adjusted just fine. I, I felt like I got uh, uh, my feet under me pretty quickly, and uh, I was good. I was right, right with the pace of play, and I was making plays. So I, uh, I felt pretty good out there. Now, I, I'm sure that uh, on Saturday, day two of the draft, you're still living in the euphoria of your name being called. But when you hear the Kings move up in the second round, were you even paying attention? Here comes your, your U18 teammate, Francisco Pinelli. He's called by the Kings. What was the first thought that went through your mind whenever you heard that? I was really excited. I was really excited. I saw the move. I was watching it. I saw the move up, and I, I, I knew Penelli was still on the board, and he was a really, he's a really, really talented player, and he, I believe he should have won the first round. Uh, so I think the Kings really lucked out there. And, uh, yeah, I texted him right after. He was pumped up. We, we FaceTimed each other. It was, it was pretty cool. But uh, he's a great guy, and he's a, he's a terrific player, and he'll be, a, he'll be a great player for the franchise. Now, you talk about uh, guys that you're friends with or friendly with on that team. Uh, you told me during the Zoom the other night, if I remember correctly, that uh, your buddies with McTavish, which of course is funny because you had the Zegris and Turcotte connection from previous draft. Now we're talking about Clark and McTavish, more Kings Ducks connections. You guys were going to go out and play golf uh, or something like that, if uh, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, I think we are doing that this week. We didn't end up doing it yesterday. I think I, I we just kind of sat at home and we're answering phone calls and stuff like that. So <laughs> now we we will meet up this week. And yeah, he, he's a really good friend of mine. He lives like 15 minutes away from me. He's a he's a great guy. And uh, yeah, he's one of the be- one of my best friends. And I have nothing but good things to say about him. He's going to be a terrific player for uh, for many years. 
Yeah, interesting. Uh, you, you, I'm sure that at some point you'll be reading Mayor's Manor and you'll read that uh, that was my pick for the Kings to take. I, I just I love McTavish, and it sounds like you're pretty high on him as a player as well. Absolutely, yeah. He's he's a terrific player. He's uh, very skilled, very very good power forward, and he's uh, yeah. They, that was a, that was a great selection by them. He's gonna be a he's a really solid player for a long time. Yeah, Anaheim got a good one there. Now, one more question on the U18s before we move on. I, I have to ask you about Mike Stuthers, one of the assistant coaches there. Stutz, is, uh, he's a very interesting guy, one of the guys that I respect the most in hockey. And uh, he's, he's a tough love, no-nonsense type guy. But I don't need to tell you, who, who, you know, what type of guy he is. You guys were only together for a couple of weeks. But knowing Stutz, he still wanted to make an impression upon you and put his stamp on you as a player. So talk to me for a couple minutes here about your relationship with Stuthers or your experience playing with Stutz. Stutz is a great guy, you know. He's uh, he's a great coach. He he does he he's, he says these stories all the time. He like we're doing videos, and then like he just cuts into a story about how he, about him his playing days, and it would crack everybody up. He's, he's such a funny guy, and he's just got that great comedic timing. And he's, he's a great coach too. Like he would uh, he ran most of our PK, and he would do videos, and he, he, you can just see that uh, where his intelligence is. Like he, he's uh, he tells us like not to take the seam passes away, but also block like block shots. And it, it makes you think, like, wow, that's really smart. Like, that's something I'll just incorporate all the time. So he's definitely got a good brain on him. Very solid. Uh, you can tell he knows the defensive game amazingly. And, uh, yeah, he, he would uh, he would get in my ear sometimes. You know, sometimes if I uh, maybe should have shot it, he, he, he did want me to shoot a lot. So whenever I got out the blue line and I maybe d- dished a pass D to D when the shot was available, you know, he would get in my ear. But that's good. I love uh, – I love that that uh, co- co- connect connection that we had. That uh, he, he felt comfortable, you know, getting getting on me, and I I bounced back. You know, I, I next shift I want, wanted to I want to make him happy. You know, I wanted to do some get get a shot on that, create some havoc in the net, and, and then we would we would we would laugh about it after laugh about it after the game. He, he was a great person, and uh, I'm yeah I'm really honored that I got to, I got to learn under him, and he, he was a great coach for for us, and did a lot for our, our team, and was the main reason that. Uh, we were such a solid defensive team, and we only we only trailed once the entire tournament. So that that's a big credit to him because he was uh, huge for our, our defensive core. Well, you guys have something in common now too. Dude was a first round pick back in the day. True, true. Did forget about that, but that that is a good point. That is a good point. Maybe I'll text him that. <laughs> How many times did he reference? Probably not with the defense, but uh, I'd be surprised if he went the whole tournament and didn't bring up the name Braden Point at least one time. I think he did. Yeah, we were doing videos, and he's like, uh, we did a lot of Tampa videos, and uh, yeah, he, he definitely brought up that guy's a terrific two-way center, and obviously Stutz loves the two-way guys, so yeah, he, that name definitely popped up more than once. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Now you um, broke some tape down with Yanetti and the Kings, like we talked about. How about we ask you to put your scouting hat on right now, and you scout yourself? So on a scale of one to seven, how do you rate your skating? Uh, uh. Like 5.5. I stumped you. I can't believe that. You've had an answer for everything. (laughs) You actually paused for a second. I did. I did did take a slow (laughs) second. I'd say 5.5. 5.5. Okay. How do you rate your hands on a scale of 1 to 7? 6. Shot? 5.5. Hockey IQ? 7. Okay. All right. Intangibles? 6. Let's deal with the ugly stuff. I'm sure you've read the reports on yourself. You've been pouring over it. And some people use the word maturity, and they say that that's something that you need to work on. How do you respond to the critics that have said that about you? I don't know. I, 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 everyone I talk to says they, they love talking to me. I'm, I'm this, this kind of person I am. If, you, if, if it's not mature to be an excited person and be a guy who likes to talk to people, then uh, if you want to say that's immature to just be an exciting and like like having these conversations with anybody, I feel like I talk to anybody 
And if that means I'm immature, then so be it. This is the person I am. I love, I love creating a good conversation with people. I love being excited. I love making someone feel like they're interesting. You know, I love uh, that's just the kind of person I am. I, uh, I love doing these kind of interviews, and it's I love talking hockey. And uh, I don't know if that's immature to be uh, excited in a conversation, then so be it. Yeah, it's not a word that I would use. Uh, either the the Zoom calls that we did with the NHL prior to the draft or talking to you after the first round or even talking to you today, that doesn't come across. So it is curious where that word comes from. Do you think maybe that some coaches maybe feel that you're not receptive to coaching or something? I'm just curious where you think that that type of commentary comes from. Any idea? No, you know, uh, well, I mean, like uh, when I'm with my friends, you know, I, I'm a loud guy. You know, I, I, I like to be a loud guy in the dressing room. Uh, I like to talk. I, I talk to everybody. I cheer everyone up. I'm a, I'm a guy who's like screaming in the dressing room before. And if that's, like I said, if that's immature, then so be it. That's the person I am. And I'm not going to, that's, uh, it, it gets my teammates going and they love it. They, that's, they know that's the kind of person I am. They know that's the energy that I'm going to bring. And if that's immature, then like I said, it's not, uh, not the end of the world for me. Let me be the first to tell you, if having energy and being an excitable guy and, and, and boosting up your teammates and talking and being energetic is, is immature, then please continue to do that for the rest of your life. Don't stop. Uh, don't listen to those, those people with the criticism. Um, let's flip the script a little bit, and uh, let's have you now take your scouting skills and uh, go the other direction. Let's have you scout a couple of Kings prospects and no cliche answers. I don't want to hear, oh, they're good players. I want, I want some, some, come on, give me some deep dive on this. Akil Thomas. Akil, uh, I got to see him up close when he was when he was on Niagara, and then he was on Peterborough. This guy is a cra- uh, amazing playmaker. You know, you saw him at the World Juniors. He got that game winning goal. Like that guy's a horse. He's working all the time. He's all, he's the hardest working guy out there. But he's he's also using that, using that skill. Like he, he combines the skill and the and the effort uh, that that it's hard to match up. You know, when I was on defense, and this guy, you know, he did, he wasn't shy to burn me wide, but he also wasn't shy to like put it under my stick. You know, it was, it, that's a really guy you got to always watch and he. He can make those passes without even looking. Like he's facing the glass and he throws like a spin pass across the ice and it's right on the guy's tape. So he's a terrific player and uh, yeah, he, he will be a really good player for a really long time. That, and uh, I'm at least, I'm not trying to give these cliche answers. This is just true <laughs> what I think about this guy. Nah, you, did, you that was that was a good one. Um, how about his buddy Aiden Dudas? Aiden Dudas, yeah, we I also he was in Owen Sound. He was a captain Owen Sound. That guy is a terrific two way player. You know, he's he's not gonna blow you away with his, his uh, flashiness, but he's uh, he's a He's a forward that, um, you know, when, when our forwards are banging in their corners, like he's always like stick left and go in the puck, can just transition pucks really quickly. You know, he's the he's the guy you want to play with. He's the he's always working hard. Like he's a, he's the centerman that you want. You know, when I'm I'm a defenseman, I'm battling in our own corner. I know he's going to be there. I know he's going to bail me out if the guy burns me on a step. He's going to be there. He's reliable and he, he thinks defense first. But uh, if there's a chance that he can he can crush the net, he can bang one in. He's going to do that too. So yeah, that, that guy's also a a terrific player, and he's definitely known for his two-way game, and uh, deservedly so. Now, Byfield, uh, you guys went, I think, 0-8 against him. You pointed that out the other night, and you thought he might be chirping you. Um, give us the breakdown on Byfield. Yeah, what, what's what's more to be said? You know, he's a second overall pick for good reason. He uh, he went, was at the World Juniors this year. He's just a terrific player. You know, like I said, we went 0-8 against him. He was a main reason why. You know, he was just like... Uh, you know, some, sometimes you don't even know, he, he, he kind of goes unnoticed, then he pops right into a hole, like he picks off a pass and he's on a breakaway, and it's just like, he just knows, he just has that ability to just read the plays, and he, he can kind of like wait, uh, he, can, he can obviously make stuff happen, you guys know he can make stuff happen, but he's so good at just waiting, being patient, and just seeing the holes where it like, kind of catches the guy sleeping, and he can just lift their stick and uh, use his amazing speed to, 
to just take one of the net and kind of kind of use his nifty and tight hands to to flip one upstairs on the goalie. So yeah, he's he's a, he's amazing. It's like I said, or I said this in, the, in my post draft interview. Like I can't wait to be able to cheer when he does when he does something <laughs> amazing like that. Yeah, you won't have to worry about him burning you anymore, except maybe a development camp or maybe in the uh, the black and white scrimmage game or something like that. But hopefully, you guys will be in the same group, and then you don't, you don't have to uh, you don't have to deal with that. Fingers now, crossed, yeah. if uh, <laughs> fingers crossed, I love it. If uh, if Byfield sneaks up on you, this next guy doesn't sneak up on anybody. Arthur Kaliev has that big bomb, and nobody, everybody knows when Artie's coming. The dude's a freight train. Uh, tell us a little bit about playing against Kaliev. Yeah, he's um, like you said. Everyone knows when he's out there. This guy's got one of the most ridiculous shots I've ever seen. Like it's like he can have a one-timer pass that's bobbling, and it's like it's definitely not. It's like literally on its side all the way to him, and he snaps it in the back of the net. And he did the Michigan goal against us. That was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah, this guy's quite the player. He just, uh, he, he, you know, he's not. He, he's obviously like uh, not known for his speed, but he's good at. He's just really good at slowing the game down. Can, uh, slowing the game, pushing the defense back, and then he'll he'll delay. And he's not he's not going a million miles an hour, but he doesn't need to. That's not his game. He just needs that little bit of space, and then he'll shoot the puck around you, and it, it'll burn the goalie right over right over the shoulder. Like he's just uh, the shot that that guy has is it's pretty pretty amazing. And I, uh, I you know I, I definitely don't want to get in front of that in practice. Now, one other quick point on Kaliev, and I've said this many times. I think that his passing game is completely underrated. I'm curious, as a defenseman, are you just as worried about those slick passes that he makes as you are about that gigantic bomb of a shot? Absolutely, yeah. You, you gotta, you, you gotta almost like sell yourself out to the shot. Like he's lining up for one time, or he's lining up for a wrist shot. You gotta sell yourself out, and then he just like he sees that you're down on the ice, and he sees that you're totally committed to blocking the shot, and he'll just dish, slide one across the ice for a, a a wide open player. So he's definitely got that hockey IQ that he knows when uh, when he's got when he's got that time to use that shot, or when he's got uh, when he knows that the d- defenseman's kind of. Already, uh, it's trying to block, uh, trying to limit his best skill, I guess you could say. But it, uh, his passing is just almost equally as good. So he can dish that pass, puck cross ice for a guy with lots of time and space to take a good shot as well. So yeah, he's a he's quite the offensive player. All right, we could go another hour with you, but I know your voice is hurting from all these interviews that you've done. We appreciate you coming on Kings of the Podcast, stepping in here, sticking your toe in the water for the first time. Did you have fun? And are you coming back on soon? Sounds like a plan. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, let's do it again. All right, sounds good. There you go, Brant Clark, the first uh, pick for the LA Kings in the 2021 NHL Draft. We'll be talking more about him as the summer progresses with development camp coming up. But for now, we'll be back right after the break. To the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, third period, Kings of the Podcast. Thanks again to Brant Clark for jumping in there. Uh, heard some great stories. Good to get to know him. And uh, fortunately, he was able to stretch out and do a whole segment with us. I was worried, DB. <laughs> you know, he talks a billion miles an hour, but man, that kid is full of energy. It's infectious. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a passionate kid, and it just saw that to me the best two celebrations with the draft were certainly Jack Hughes <laughs> when Luca picked his, uh, his teammate with the Devils, and then Brant's celebration with his family at home. So, uh, look, I'm very eager for the day he becomes a, a permanent member of the LA Kings roster because he's going to be uh, energetic and entertaining. I'm sure we'll get him in the room one-on-one. Yeah, he's already looking forward to booking his second appearance on Kings of the Podcast. So I'm penciling it in for sometime around November. We'll talk to him just before he goes to Team Canada's uh, final you know, selection camp heading into the World Juniors. Yep. That'll be fantastic. Now, uh, for the LA Kings, Dennis, this coming season, the 2021-22 season, which, of course, LAGM Rob Blake is working on right now with his his management group, and they're trying to figure out what more to do. They've already added Victor Arvidsson, and they're looking to, at least according to reports, according to things that both you and I have put out there, they want to add another uh, middle six, which would be a second or third line forward, and they want to add potentially a depth defenseman. So not the young left shot D that we've been talking about. Those are kind of right. unicorns, harder to come by. They'll wait, you know, and, and find that when, when it's available. But they do want to add a depth defenseman, somebody that could potentially uh, push Oli Mata down to like a 7D so they can maybe rotate him in. By the way, Mata's uh, analytics, if you look it up, he was much better in the second half of the season playing on a second and third pair than he was earlier in the year. So maybe you got his sea legs under him after, you know, that trade and, and, and trying to break out of camp and, it's hard to evaluate players coming out of last year, Dennis, because I've mentioned this before. It's like the lockout. So guys, you know, they all approached that one year shutdown differently. And then it was like a sprint to the finish, right? With 56 games. I think this next year will be more representative for uh, kind of the future of players in terms of where they are on their career arc. Uh, what do you think about that? And I think we, we did mod a little bit of a disservice being assumptive that he was going to be Drew Doughty's a partner because he's not a top pair defenseman. He never was. So I think that that, that like miscast with the expectations, like may have hurt him early on yes. uh, with respect to optics. And, and, and he is, he's a depth defenseman. Now what I would like to see him do, especially since they lost Curtis McDermott, if they go get that depth defenseman, I'd like to see somebody with some size mm-hmm. because this team doesn't have a lot of size on the blue line, but I agree. They could use one more, um, uh, there and with respect to the forwards, well, you know, we'll, we, you can go down the list of, of potential targets, but I, I would like to see if they are going to add the just guy with a little bit more bulk, a little bit more size on that blue one. Okay, so uh, Austin Strand's ears just perked up. He thinks he now has a better chance in training camp adding some size to the defensive group. So good on Austin. Let's go through some list of names here, either free agent targets or trades. I did make reference to Jaden Schwartz earlier. I like Jaden Schwartz. He's one of the two names I gave very early on several months ago. However, unfortunately, it looks like Ron Francis kind of has a deal in his pocket from from what I'm hearing. DB, what do you think on Jaden Schwartz? How likely is it that he's, he's going to be a member of the Seattle Kraken here shortly? Yeah, I think that deal was struck probably in the exclusive window that Seattle had. Seattle had like three days uh, to uh, to negotiate with the players. This looks like one of the players they're going to uh, get, and they'll probably announce it once free agency opens. As he's probably off the board with respect to an LA target. I agree with you on that. All right, so next on the list here, uh, Brandon Saad. Here's another player that uh, would be a good fit for L.A. I think the issue is going to come down to, like many of these deals, it's going to come down to term uh, over money. Uh, the Kings are probably looking on the shorter side, so it all comes down to the market. Is the market going to give him four or five years, or do you think L.A. can be able to get him uh, and secure him and add him to their roster? Well, John, if, it's, if the ask is four or five years, then I don't sign the player. It's as simple as that. I think he's 28 years old. 
that doesn't really fit in the scheme of things with respect to the wingers that the Kings have in the system. But if they can bring him in on a two to three year deal, putting him with Arverton on the power play next year, it'll be a better power play. So yes, to this player on a shorter term, that longer term, if he's going to get five from somebody, you shake his hand, you congratulate him, and you move on from him. Yeah, I agree. It sort of reminds me of the Zach Hyman situation early on when right. when when we were getting reports that they that his camp thought that they were going to be able to get a six or seven year deal. I thought that was a little bit crazy and too much for the player. But hey, you have to ask. There's nothing wrong with asking, right? Asking is free. And lo and behold, they might end up with a seven or eight year deal. And it, absolutely, yep. tip of the cap, shake their hand, congratulate them. You know, buy them a drink yep. the next time you see them. But for <laughs> my money, Zach Hyman, I'm not signing him to a six, seven, or eight year deal. Just not the type of player that I would want to make that type of a long-term commitment to a uh, solid player, but that is a hell of a commitment for uh, where he would fit into a team's lineup. Yeah. Well, he's probably running to Edmonton because he's either going to play with Leon Drysaddle or, or Connor McDavid. So good on him. But I agree. I, I think for that player, he was a glue guy in Toronto that priced them out, but to go to that long-term with any player in free agency, I think that, you know, at least the organization, LA organization, I, I don't think it can do that. Okay, plenty of names here remaining, DB. Five more names I want to throw at you. Tyler Bertuzzi, along with Schwartz. This is one of the names that I really was pushing for hard early. I like Bertuzzi's game. Love what he brings or would bring to the LA Kings. Gives them something different. Gives them something they don't currently have right now. Uh, Surprisingly, Detroit is said to be willing to move him, which just a couple of months ago, people thought I was nuts and and talking about uh, the Kings pursuing him. What do you think about the potential of the Kings adding Tyler Bertuzzi? Well, I, I know we talk about another player that's injured. I think it's a guy with a neck injury. So, like, you have to be aware that Charles Bertuzzi, I love his game. He's 26 years old, so he fits that age bracket. He had a great start last year, John. Five goals, two assists, nine games. Back, acted up, tried to play through it, tried to remedy it without back surgery. Charles Bertuzzi is coming off of back surgery. So maybe for L.A., the fact that he's coming off surgery, although he's supposed to be ready for the season, maybe that reduces the price. But this is a player. He's a restricted free agent this would be the type of player I would go after. Now, on a bad Detroit team, uh, two seasons ago, 21-27-48. Yeah, forget his minus, plus, minus. Two years prior to that, a year prior to that, 21-26-47. If you could bring this player in, who hopefully would be a 50 or 55-point scorer and a gritty guy around the net, again, this would be a, a player I'd be targeting via trade. I think he's an absolute fit from uh, with respect to the, his game, his age, and probably he's not going to be that expensive as a restricted free agent. All right. I think he uh, fits into the longer-term plan as well, which is really what's exciting because you said he's a couple years younger there. Now, in Tampa, everybody would rather uh, – actually, tell you what, before we get to Tampa, what about uh, Tarasenko? From everything that I've uh, been able to gather, the Kings were in on Tarasenko. There were discussions. It reminds me uh, – it's very similar to the, the, the talk with uh, Vince Dunn. They went – Long on the Vince Dunn discussions back in October. Ultimately, they decided to walk away. It seems like it's the same sort of thing this time around. They were in on Tarasenko. They were interested in Tarasenko. And at the end of the day, from what I've gathered, the LA Kings decided to walk away from the uh, potential Tarasenko deal, quote-unquote, at this time, as people like to say. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, they're willing to swallow the $9.5 million salary. His cap hit for the next two seasons. He's got two seasons left, $7.5 million. Look, he doesn't want to play in St. Louis anymore. He doesn't like the way he was treated after the shoulder, shoulder surgeries. Um, and I agree with you, John. I think they were interested, but I think St. Louis was asking too much back. And, and I think at some point, L.A. said, we're not interested in the price. So it wasn't about the cap hit or retention or salary or anything like that. It was more about like what the return St. Louis expected. It was just 
I think in the Kings' mind, they were just it was just overpriced for a player who was coming off multiple shoulder surgeries. So I think that was the stopping point for LA with respect to an acquisition. But the, I agree with you; they were interested in Tarasenko. Yeah, I should also mention that when it comes to Brandon Saad, it was a very short period in, of time in his life, but uh, he does have a connection to Todd McClellan because if you remember back at the World Cup in Toronto, I think it was 2016, uh, McClellan was the coach of the really exciting uh, team that was put out for North America team, which was the under-23 players at the time. And if memory serves me correctly, Saad was on that team representing the Columbus Blue Jackets back then. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe Todd and Saad, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's something there. Who knows? There's always a connection somewhere, D.B. Absolutely, John. All right, back to Tampa then. Uh, people were probably salivating, thinking that I was going to mention Braden Point or Sergachev <laughs> because those are the guys, right? I or Stamkos while you're at it. Yeah, uh, sure, I mean, why not? Okay. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I've texted Blake every hour on the hour, encouraging him to get Braden Point. He probably has blocked me at this point, but uh, Braden Point or Sergachev would be fantastic, but let's also say those are likely unrealistic or at least not very probable. So now you circle your attention to a couple of other players, and one of those guys would be Palat. What do you think about the LA Kings adding Palat to their roster? Well, I'll give you some stats, John. Regular season stats. Okay, Braden Point, like superstar, right? Okay, 23, 25, and 56. Andre Palat, 15, 31, 46. He scored two less points than Braden Point in the regular season. Mm -hmm. So this is a player who's been there for 10 years. He's 30 years old, so maybe at the, at the end of the age bracket for LA. But certainly, this is an impact player, John. He plays on the first line. He scored big goals in the postseason. He had five goals, eight assists, and 13 goal games. He had 11 and seven in the prior year. This is a legitimate player who's done well, who's a great chemistry guy. And he, John, he's always going to be underrated because of Braden Point and Sergachev and Stamkos and uh, Vasilevsky and Victor Hedman. So you, he's never going to get the pop. But this guy's been with Tampa since 2012. He's been a vital part of their uh their organization and their two cup wins. But if, unless they can move Tyler Johnson to Seattle, which is the logical uh, move because he's from Spokane, Tyler Johnson, this would be a player that might be potential. The other guy would be, um, although he got injured, would be Alex Kalorn. But yeah, they could get Pilat out of there. Um, he has, I think, one year left on his deal um, in Tampa. Uh, so that would be a nice, actually, yeah, he's got one year left at his deal and he's unrestricted. So could you bring him in? Uh, his cap hits are reasonable at 5.3, but this would be a nice hit. This is a smart player that doesn't make mistakes, who I think would work well with either Kopitar, who's ever going to be on your second line as a center. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a couple more names at you here. Uh, it's funny because whenever people tweet us, and Dennis, you and I always laugh about this, and they want to know, hey, Elliot Friedman reported X Y Z. Can you guys confirm, or what do you think? Uh, let me tell you something, guys. We are very plugged into what's going on here with the teams that we cover, but uh, don't ever discount Elliot Friedman. Fridge is very plugged in on a national level, and if he tells you something's uh, something's brewing, uh, there's probably smoke to that fire. So allegedly, now I haven't heard this, Dennis, so I want to give Elliot full full credit for this one. Uh, Philippe Deneau of the Montreal Canadiens, I know you do a lot of Habs radio. Allegedly, there's something there between L.A. and Deneau. Tell us about the player and what you think about him potentially being being added to the Kings. Well, the player had so much focus on playing defensively in uh, Montreal as a three-seat behind Kakanyemi and uh, Nick Suzuki that he really gave up sc thinking about scoring goals, scoring goals. But remember, John, two off-seasons ago, Montreal offered him $5 million a year at, uh, on a six-year term, right? So if he's going to sign with a team, L.A. or whoever, like he's going to be signing for second-line money, right? So if he's a second-line center here in Los Angeles, one or two things happen, John. Either somebody's moving over 
or somebody's moving out, right? And you, you can kind of connect the dot to him thinking about it at two C because if you brought him in, that's the money he would ask for. That's what they'd have to pay him. That's where he would sign. He would not be signing as a three C, right? So that's the thing. So either you're moving somebody over to wing or you're making a trade to move one of these prospects out. And it's not going to be Quentin Byfield. So you can not. It is a very curious name, John, but I think that's the way it would spin out. And in fact, if Philip Dunno did actually land in Los Angeles. All right. He's represented by Don Meehan at Newport. And uh, if you go down Meehan's list right now, uh, Jeff Skinner tops his list at $9 million. I don't think that he's going to quite fit there. Now, Mark, Sh- Mark Shifley, another one of his uh, clients who was with the uh, Winnipeg Jets, wouldn't mind seeing Mark Shifley in an L.A. Kings uniform. But for now, we'll, f- we'll continue the focus on, on Philippe Deneau, right? I mean, hey, if you're on the phone with the agent, you might as well ask, right? So, um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's move on to a couple of other names here. Qualifying Offers were due today. The LA Kings did not uh, provide qualifying offers or they did not qualify guys like Matt Luff, Drake Rimshaw. We discussed this, I believe, on the last program, wishing Luffer nothing but the best. Now, Mikey Isimont was an interesting one, uh, headed into the weekend as kind of a 50-50 thing. When we did our article on Mayor's Manor, we have learned or did learn earlier on Monday that Isimont would not be qualified, so he will become an unrestricted free agent. And the uh, Andreas Anthonisio... Its situation was an interesting one because we kept hearing the Kings are not going to qualify him because he has arbitration rights and they didn't want to go to arbitration with him. But people were trying to read into that as, oh, they must not be interested. No, they were interested. If you kept reading the paragraph, they very much so wanted to still sign him and felt that they would continue to try to work on a deal. From what I gather, there is a one-year and a two-year deal that's been presented or is on the table, whatever terminology you want to use. And uh, the good news is that uh, in the hour leading up to the deadline for qualifying offers, I received a tip that they were in fact going to qualify him or did qualify him by this point. It's already happened. And the reason for that is because they feel that they're really close to finalizing a deal. And Dennis, knowing our luck, they're probably announcing the deal as we're recording this. So <laughs> you can expect or should expect there's a high likelihood greater than 50%. It's not a hundred percent, Dennis, you can pick a percent, but uh, there's a good chance that double a is going to be back with the LA Kings for next season. Yeah. I think the deal gets done in a couple of days here, John. I don't think, I think we'll, We'll last past this recording, but I do think he's going to be coming in and returning. And I heard the same thing, one or two-year deal, and for the reasons that you mentioned. All right, so that would be a solid depth player. I'll tell you, they are they are really uh, running out of room. They're running out of options. Even Holy with John. Even, Holy cow. even with Curtis McDermott leaving uh, the organization, um, the competition at uh, the bottom six forward positions, it is going to be very interesting. You, I mean, you have really eight spots in total when you consider – two lines of three plus two healthy scratches. That's eight players. But many of those eight players, those spots have already been spoken for. Like Anderson Dolan, he's not going anywhere. Trevor Moore, he's not going anywhere. I mean, you just go down the list. Um, I have it as three open spots. But if you add double A in, now you're really talking about two open spots. And that makes it very interesting for some of those depth players. So there there is, shameless plug, a whole article about this on mayorsmanor.com. Just Google search extended look at forwards for LA Kings, and you, you will find that. Now, there are three players outside of LA, DB, that did not receive qualifying offers that perhaps we should be talking about. Uh, one of them is Nick Ritchie in Boston. I think that would be a very interesting uh, pickup for the LA Kings. He's a good depth player. Yeah, and he's got size. I, I think that what you look at when you look at, I mentioned St. Louis and Tampa twice over, like you, you need depth, you need some some grit, some you know, some size on the on the bottom six. You just can't have both skill and speed. You can't even learn to themselves 
you know, with respect to the defense of their thing. So, yeah, that could be a possibility. He's familiar with Southern California. So, yeah, it's a possibility. But, again, I agree with you, John. They're running out of boxes to, to put these players in. So it would be interesting if a move like that was made. Yeah. Now in Chicago, uh, you talk about eyebrow raising. There were certainly some people that had their eyebrows raised today, including maybe even TFP Mafia member Tab Bamford. The Blackhawks opted not to extend a qualifying offer uh, to Pius Suter. What do you think about him? Yeah. I, I That was, to me, that was a stunner. And he had a nice season, but I, I don't know what they're thinking in, in Chicago, to be honest with you. They made a huge trade bringing in um, Seth Jones. Uh, they traded him and, of course, and picks back. But to me, that was that was kind of a stunner because he was on, I think he was on the list of uh, possible Calder candidates. He's an older player. But uh, to me, that was definitely an eye-brow raiser as well, John. Yes, and of course, um, everybody in L.A. would butcher his name. They bring in a suitor. You know everyone's going to call him Sutter. So that would be that would be a lot of fun. Uh, there is no relation, people. It's not even spelled the same way, so please don't ask. Um, uh, Dennis, the last name I want to mention is only interesting because of the, the, the original cost and sort of how the story played out. So Boston, once upon a time, was willing to give up a first-round draft pick to get and to acquire Andre Kasha, and now they don't even qualify him, and he becomes an unrestricted free agent just not that long after it cost them a first-round draft pick. What do you make of Kasha, who was, of course, with the Ducks for many years? Would you like to see him in Southern California? I just, John, I think with him, it's a question of health. The guy's never healthy. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do is, to, I mean, maybe on a PTO, but to sign him to a contract, I, I, to me, it's a health issue. He's got some skill. He's got some touch which you would need on the bottom six. So, yeah, from a, a skill standpoint to add to the bottom six, would be good. I just don't think he's going to be the type of player that's going to play 82 games. He'll probably want to play in 50 games, and then they'll have to have another player on the roster to replace him. Yeah, I am uh, more interested in Nick Ritchie uh, or even in Suter than I would be, but I just I had to bring up the name because at sure. the time I scratched my head, Dennis, they gave up a first-round pick to get Kasha. That is a hell of an yeah. overpayment. Yeah. Yeah, for a guy who was originally picked in 205th overall in the seventh round, but that was a major overpayment. It was a it was a work by Boston for sure. Yeah, Dennis, another fantastic episode. Thanks again to Brant Clark for joining us here on this edition of Kings of the Podcast. We have more episodes lined up. We're just getting started, Dennis. I mean, the draft is over, the expansion draft is over, but free agency <laughs> is around the corner. The silly season is upon us. So, Dennis, drink up those Red Bulls because we have more to bring everybody uh, later this week. Absolutely, Joe. Looking forward to it, man. All right, there you go. Kings of the podcast in the books. We are done. We are out. Enjoy your week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Not for free.
Look around in a reptile 